Hello, everyone. So glad to have you join us on the NENC Sports Radio Show 2.0. My name is Chris Bell. I'm glad to be your host for the new version of the show. First, I would like to say thanks to Owen Hassel and Malcolm Shields for all that they did with the first version of the show. Uh, with Owen moving to Wilmington, uh, Malcolm being swamped as a sports editor of the Daily Advance, I decided to start the radio show back right now as a podcast. Uh, and maybe in the future, it will be brought back to radio. Uh, so everybody just would like to give you a little bit of background on me. I'm a 2006 graduate of Curry Tuck County High School. I uh, spent the majority of my childhood hearing stories about the 1980 football uh, team that made the run to the state championship game from my dad, who was a offensive lineman and defensive lineman on that team. Uh, as well as when I was little, my aunt was about nine years older than me. And so when she was a senior senior at Curry Tuck, I remember getting lugged to softball, volleyball, basketball games. She was a three-sport athlete for the Knights from 1995 through 1998. Um, I also grew up, I remember going to Camden and Northeastern to see the Bruins and the Eagles face off in regional football and semifinals and finals against teams from all over the East. Uh, Camden always seemed to play Bun. <laughs> While I can't remember who Northeastern played, uh, I do remember Jock Lewis running all over defenses. Uh, my grandfather graduated from Perquimans. My grandmother graduated from Knapp High School. Uh, my mom graduated from Albemarle Academy, then, now school. Uh, my uncle did as well. Uh, my other uncle and my aunt graduated from Curry Tuck. I, um, my grandfather was a, a headmaster and a coach at Albemarle Academy back in the 80s. Um, I, however, grew up in Barco. Um, I say grew up in Barker. I actually grew up in Shawboro, but my formative years, athletically speaking, all happened in Barker. Uh, upon graduating from Curry Tuck, I attended Campbell. Uh, I worked in collegiate athletics all four of my years there in the Creek. I uh, also worked with and managed the Edenton Steamers from 2008 through 2010, uh, but then moved to Indianapolis and eventually moved back to Wilmington, uh, where I coached football, basketball, and uh, for a small 2A private school just west of Wallace, North Carolina, and I did some broadcasting for UNCW. However, eventually the NENC called me home. And I've been back in the area for the past two years. Uh, I do some announcing for Curry Tuck. I uh, did some work for ECSU in the past and continue to have strong relationships with some of the Viking coaches and, and athletic administration and, and administration there at ECSU. I uh, also write some articles for the Advance. And now uh, I want to do what I love to do best, which is talking, uh, broadcasting. And, and so I had the idea of starting this podcast in the middle of COVID-19. Um, in a time where no sports is happening, I feel like now is a perfect opportunity to give people what they may want, and that is sports, uh, to be able to hear about sports in the area. Uh, but I do love the NENC. I love the Albemarle area. Uh, I love what our schools do while in facing while facing immense difficulties, including travel and resources. Uh, I love traveling to places like Gatesville, Lahosky, Windsor, Kill Devil Hills, Hertford, Edenton, Elizabeth City, Camden, Plymouth, uh, all the other areas that are covered by the Albemarle. So 
What will the show be like? Uh, simply put, it will focus a lot on high school athletics. I will say this, though. We will focus on private and public. Uh, we want to make sure that the folks at Albemarle Academy and, and at uh, Victory and New Life, that's starting uh, some, some athletics as well. We want to talk about them, maybe even Lawrence and Ridgecroft and um, maybe even Northeast Academy, uh, some of those being included as well. Um, we're also going to take a deep dive into collegiate athletics as well as the Edenton Steamer. So this will hopefully be a weekly program released every Monday, and I hope that you will come along and, and join us for the ride. Thank you for listening uh, to the first broadcast. Uh, before we get to our first guest, however, uh, time for our first segment, and I'm going to call it a look back. I know it's pretty simple uh, and basic, but uh, for right now, that's all my, what my creative uh, side could come up with. And Today, I just want to take a look back into the world that was about three weeks ago. Uh, winter sports had wrapped up. Spring sports were getting under the, underway. Uh, taking a look at baseball, Curry Tuck uh, was off to a 2-1 and one start. Uh, had just beaten Camden 12-2 to two back on March 11th. Uh, that was in five innings, and we're looking to defend that Northeastern Coastal title that they won last year. Uh, we'll be honest, the, the conference did look to be a little down this year. Pasquotank, Northeastern, Bertie, and Hertford County had all gone winless to start the season. Um, all of those had faced smaller schools, uh, 1A schools, and, and had not been able to pick up a win. Uh, First Light had picked up a couple. Uh, I believe they were 1-2 and two heading into the break. Um, well, break end, whatever it is now. Uh, but Edenton, as we flip over to the Albemarle Conference, Edenton had sprinted off to a 4-0 start. Uh, defeated Curry Tuck, Beargrass Charter, Riverside, and First Flight. They scored 28 runs while only giving up five. Uh, the Aces were looking extremely strong and were definitely the front runners to win the Albemarle Conference again. Uh, however, there were some strong challenges coming. Gates and Perquimans both had started off 5-0. and uh, Gates had defeated Bertie twice, Hertford County twice, and Pasquotank. Uh, Perquimans had defeated Northside, Hertford County, Riverside, First Flight, and Pasquotank. As we flip over to softball, uh, Karen Booker at Curry Tuck had another strong season shaping up for Curry Tuck uh, as they had just defeated Camden 2 to nothing. Uh, Bertie and Northeastern had also registered wins, uh, while the other three schools, Pasquotank, First Light, and Hertford County, had struggled to pick up a win in the early season. Um, over in the Albemarle Gates, Berquimans, Camden, Edenton, and Manio had all registered win on the softball register. Uh, Camden, yet again, was the favorite, uh, but as always, Perquimans and Gates were, were going to be formidable, formidable opponents for the Bruins. Uh, in girls' soccer in the Northeastern Coastal, I would have put my money on this script. Okay, First flight wins the conference. Curry Tuck plays them close in two games during the regular season. First flight goes 8-0, Curry Tuck 6-2, Northeastern 4-4, four four, Pasquotank 2-6, and six, and Hurt County 8-0-8. Eight and oh and eight. Now, we'll never know if that was actually going to happen, but it's the way the last few seasons have played out. I'm pretty sure uh, that's kind of how things would have gone moving forward. Curry Tuck, again, having a strong team. First flight uh, didn't look like they had missed a beat from, from their strong teams in the past as well. Um, Northeastern also looked like they they had made a rebound and were starting to play some pretty good soccer as well. On the Albemarle side of things, likely would have been the Manio Camden battle for the conference championship. Uh, both teams had registered two wins on the early season, uh, so you know those two teams have battled back and forth for conference championship rights over in the Albemarle Conference. No reason to think that that wouldn't have been the case again in 2020. So, with no sports and high school athletics until at least May 15th. Um, and I'm of the belief that we probably need to start preparing ourselves for no more sports this season. 
you know, where do we go from here? Uh, so we got to start looking at 2021. Football is just around the corner, we hope. <laughs> uh, football, volleyball, men's soccer, and tennis could potentially come back in August, so we're just four months away. Uh, that's something positive to think about, 16 weeks away from football, potentially. Uh, but what about the, the seniors that the 2020 spring season, uh, you know, get, had their seasons cut short? We're going to have more on that to come in the following weeks, but I do feel like we have some interesting things in the works, both for the advance, but also for this podcast as well. So uh, now time for our first interview uh, in honor of the first version, uh, as well as his expertise on the area. Gaddis Hodges will join us on the podcast, and of course he is the voice of the Chowan Hawks and the resident historian of the Albemarle, especially that western side of the Albemarle. So I uh, hope you enjoy that interview, and uh, after that we'll have our final uh, segments, and we'll be done with the first edition of the NENC Sports Radio broadcast. So with no further ado, Gaddis Hodges. So glad to have you as our inaugural guest on the NENC Sports Radio Show 2.0. And, and first and foremost, guest, how are you and your family doing and adjusting to the new normal here in COVID-19 world? Chris, thank you for the opportunity to get back on with you and, and you bringing in the NENC Sports back on. And, uh, my family and I are doing well. I retired back in January. We were in the midst of baseball season and softball season here like everyone else, and uh, it got canceled, and here we are, and my wife and I are doing fine. Uh, my family's doing fine, my two daughters and all my grandkids, everybody's doing fine, so uh, we're just like everybody else trying to live day well, let's talk about some happier times, and before we jumped on, we were talking about how nice it is to just talk about sports and get our brains away from social distancing and mask and, <laughs> and everything else, but you know... We, we had some really good moments uh, in, in the area for the 2019-20 seasons, uh, a multitude of, of great stories. Uh, but for you, uh, kind of on that western side of, of the area, uh, just give us what your best moments were that you experienced uh, during the season. Well, back during football season, um, obviously I no longer – uh, broadcast Serbia County football. I got moved to Ronald Rapids High School. I do the Yellow Jackets now. My good friend Eric McDaniels is the coach there, and of course he is no longer a coach. He, he stepped aside back a couple months ago, but nonetheless, um, still kept an eye on everybody else in the NENC. And, uh, also, my home uh, school where I graduated from, North Hampton County High School, I'm a 1973 graduate, made it all the way to the state championship game in the, in the 1A level, and Really excited for those guys. And George Privet, who's the head coach there, I covered his games when he played at Hertford County. Of course, he's a little city state grad, and he's done a terrific job at Northampton. And unfortunately, it didn't work out. And Chris, what I was really disappointed about is I was hoping to go broadcast that game, uh, to, you know, have my alma mater playing in the state championship game to have a chance to broadcast. It would have been a big thrill. But unfortunately, I have a showing gig that day, and I, I don't have a backup. So. Nonetheless, I wasn't, wasn't able to make the trip, but uh, things didn't work out, but it was a great season for Northampton. And then here at Chowan, we had a really bizarre year at, at Chowan. Everybody knows about uh, Coach Tim Place stepping aside, uh, put on administrative leave uh, for the last third of the season. Mark Hall, the offensive coordinator, steps in. and Chowan keeps it going and plays well. And, of course, Mark has never had football coach, but we had a chance to see Deshaun Wellington, an outstanding running back for Chowan, becoming All-American. Uh, led the team, led the country 
in all-purpose yards and on Division Two. He's just a sophomore going to be back. We have a great quarterback in Bryce Witt. He is so fun to watch. Uh, CIAA was good again, uh, but, you know, they're the two things that kind of spawn it. Jump out with me at football, and then we get into basketball, and Jordan's in this new conference in Conference Carolinas, and it's a big change of pace. It's a different style of basketball in Conference Carolinas than from CIAA from what we've seen. It's more of a guard-oriented, maybe a better shooting league beyond the perimeter than what we were accustomed to. Our team's kind of struggled a little bit. We're built to, you know, to play CIAA basketball. We have a freshman who's um, the freshman of the year on the men's side, B.J. McLaren. Uh, he broke a school record with uh, 20 rebounds in a game. The previous record was 19. He had 16 double-doubles. He was, he was fun to watch. We just couldn't make it happen down the stretch. On, in, a, in a league where Charlie was the youngest basketball team on the men's side, and we had some great players. One of the players uh, out at King, Jordan Floyd, who was our player of the year, was also an All-American and, and got some the Southeast Regional Player of the Year in Division Two. So we had our troubles in basketball, uh, both men and women. Uh, but still, it was a learning curve for us. We knew where we were at going in. Uh, softball and baseball kind of started out the same way. Men's lacrosse has really improved. Uh, we were headed, I think, maybe the best season we ever had in men's lacrosse. Uh, before the stoppage of play. So that's kind of the highlights for me. I look back, I did see Hertford County play in the third round of the playoffs. they got a terrific quarterback that's going to be back next year. And, and, and the Saxby kid, of course, his dad, the head coach there. they got a couple of kids, Jalen Smith, the lineman, who's committed to play in Oregon. A long way from a hockey to Eugene, Oregon. You're not coming home on too many weekends, but it was fun to see that happen. They've got a couple of other kids that are going to be back. I think they're going to be pretty good. We'll see what happens at Burt T. Grant. And Ms. Ellis stepped away as the head coaching duties. A good friend, Antonio Moore, continues to do well down in Northeastern, getting his team back, uh, you know, to the championship. Caratup was good again. So it was a fun year to watch. You can never go bad watching high school football and college football and basketball and sports. And I'm really disappointed. Like I mentioned earlier, I retired back in January after 31 years of the company I worked for, and I was finally going to get a chance to really – See a lot of spring sports, including my two grandkids, but really disappointed things happened like they did. But absolutely, I'm and man, I'm, not a senior, so I'm right along with you. W- wishing that day would hurry up and come where we can go and sit and, and watch games. I won't complain about the cold weather at Curry Tuck in February when that wind's blowing off the sound. Uh, I won't complain in December when it's cold at Northeastern or, you know, cold at Camden or cold at wherever. I won't complain anymore after this. <laughs> you, you always miss the things, uh, you know, after they're gone. And I, I think we're all experiencing that right now. And uh, guys, did you have the opportunity to go to the to the conference uh, championship games that were held there at Hertford County? Unfortunately, Chowan intercepted me again. <laughs> we had uh, we had uh, Chowan games that day. I did get a chance sure. to see her for County play a couple of times. I had a chance to see first flight play. Boy, is Dylan Blake some player. He is fun to watch. I did not uh, get a chance to go over. I understand it was a great day of basketball. Uh, and I really liked what what they were able to accomplish with that by getting both conferences to put their ch- tournament championship games in the same building. The only thing, and Charles Simmons, who I love to death, he's one of my best friends in this business, would kill me if he heard me say this. Showing would have been the ideal place for that, or maybe Elizabeth City State. But that's neither said or done. They made the decision, but I thought it worked out great. 
who knows, we might be able to do it again next year. I, I thought the draw was great. Looks like everybody made some money. Everybody's pretty happy with it. You know, I, I, I agree with you. I think it was a fantastic idea. Uh, instead of splitting up fans from, from Edenton and Hertford County and, and First Flight and, and Plymouth, you know, being able to have all those folks together, from what everything I heard, I wasn't able to make it either, but from everything I heard, it was just an electric atmosphere. Um, it, while Hertford County's gym, you know, in, in Northeasterns are by far the largest in the region, man, to have that, at the Vaughn Center or have it at the Helm Center, um, not only would it be a great opportunity for, for both of those universities to showcase what they've got going on and some of the great things that are happening, um, but to also to give the capacity even more opportunity. I looked at what Edenton did, uh, you know, with the basketball seasons and having to go to Perquimans a couple of times, and in my head I'm just thinking, man, you've got two great – facilities um, that are within relatively easy driving distance uh, that are collegiate, you know, Division two places that you could go play. Um, I, I know at Elizabeth City State they would be welcome to hear or at least talk about it. I imagine that's the same at, at Chowan. Um, I really think that's something that some of these high schools need to think about when they think about capacity. Going to some of these Division two places or going to a Northeastern or Hereford County, something along those lines, is just something that could make this – truly special and even better opportunity for our athletes. I agree with you, Chris. And you think about it. A lot of these kids will not play at the next level. You get a chance to play in a college facility, kind of like what the High School Athletic Association does with their championship. You play at NC State or Duke or North Carolina or Wake Forest in football. And, you know, you play in some of the minor league stadiums for baseball. And, you know, I think it's a great idea. And, you know, maybe this is a shout-out. Maybe it needs to come from the other angle. Maybe it needs to come from Chowan and City State to kind of get something going. I don't know why the NCAA would regulate that, but it might be a good uh, opportunity for sure. them to kind of throw the you know, welcome wagon out, so to speak, and maybe get those teams to come in or maybe have some kind of high school tournament. The more people you get on your campus, the more people you see your camp, they can see your campus, and to see your facilities. Absolutely. I, I look forward to it. A little bit later on, I, I want to ask you about those changes that you've seen at Chowan over the years. But, you know, just just in how the last three weeks have, have unfolded, you know, I, I was thinking in my head, you know, on March 11th, I was announcing Camden versus Curry Tuck baseball, never dreaming that that was going to be the last time I would, I would go out to, to Barco to call a game this season. And while – the High School Athletic Association hasn't technically, you know, ended the season. They have postponed everything until May 15th. Um, I think it's a general consensus that we're not going to see high school athletics um, this season. If we do, we should be grateful for that, but probably need to prepare ourselves for, you know, for the, the worst of the two scenarios. But what have you seen being the impact uh, you know, on the western side of the Albemarle. So Hertford County, even Northampton County of Roanoke Rapids, and, and even at Chowan, what have you seen as being the kind of that impact of, of COVID-19? Well, the thing I really see is obviously the seniors, the, the kids that won't get a chance to play again, especially on the high school level. Uh, also, to see what will happen with these seniors that are granted an extra year on the NCAA or for spring sports. There's no comparison when it comes to Division One versus Division Two and Division Three kids. 
Uh, you know, a lot of those kids are not coming back to Little City State or Chowan or Land Olive or Barton because they don't have scholarships. And you're talking about paying a big price to come back to school to play, you know, what, 50 more baseball games or 50 more softball games. And, you know, you're looking over $30,000 to do that here at Chowan if you come back next year. Well, if you're Division One, you get that scholarship money, and it's pretty, pretty different. You know, I've talked to some of the high school coaches. They're trying to keep up with their kids via text, via Zoom, you know, sending them some workouts, uh, maybe sending them a playbook out because it looks like that spring football practice is going to be wiped out. You know, I've talked to the coaching staff at Chowan, the men's basketball coaching staff, about recruiting. You know, they're, they're kind of the dead period. Obviously, starting April 16th, they can talk to kids via, uh, you know, cell phone or, or email. They can make offers, but the kids cannot sign, uh, which is kind of unusual as well. So they're in a little bit of limbo. Then you, I tell you something else, Chris, that is really taken off. I was talking to one of the uh, nearby college coaches that I know. The transfer portal has gone crazy. All these kids are back home. They got people in their ear. You know, you've had a good year. I think you can play at a high level. You should play here. You should play there. The transfer portal is going absolutely crazy. Uh, that's something to keep an eye on, I think, when we come out of this thing. But but the thing that I think that people are going to learn from this, especially college administrators, especially high school administrators, is how do we handle something down the road like this again? Uh, will we be better prepared? Uh, what will our options be? Will that uh, playing at Chowan or playing at Lister City State be an option down the road when we have to make things up? And, so I think it's a lot of things to look at, uh, a lot of things I think are, you know, how do you approach a game next year, say Kentucky is hosting Northampton home in a football game, are you more sanitary at home, what do you do, I mean, it's got to, I think it's going to take a different look when we come back next year, everybody's going to have this on their mind, and this virus is not going away, uh, and I don't mean to scare people when I say that, but it's going to be around for a while, who knows it might resurface again after we get back. To some normalcy, but uh, I think you got to look at from an administrative standpoint. How do you handle these? Yeah, I, I think that's a great point. Uh, a lot of great points there. You know, first and foremost, I, I think we are in a new normal. Um, and what that new normal looks like as we go into 2020, 2021 athletics is really going to be interesting. Um, I, I agree with you. I think we're going to see a second wave of this uh, if we don't get a. a a medicine to be able to solve this. Um, I think that's something that we do have to look at. And you're looking at schools being so nimble and online learning and everything else. Uh, however, you know, if this were to happen again and we're in the same situation, athletics are going to be in the same situation again next year. It might be winter sports this time. Who, who knows? I agree. I think it's going to be really interesting to see what the NCAA does for next time. Um, and, and so, uh, guys, have you heard anything from Chowan about you know the financial implications of this? Because you know, even though baseball and you know, I understand Division Two has you know lower scholarship limits and everything else, but financially for these kids when they do come back, if they have scholarships, that's got to be a pretty big hardship on the university. It certainly has, and, and you don't know how many students you're going to have coming back. You know. I've, I've talked to a couple of people in missions. They've kind of been overwhelmed with what's going on. A lot of people having to work from home. Um, it, I think everybody's in the same boat. How many students you gonna have? How many? How much money can you rely on next year? Um, 
and not only for the administration of, of these universities, but also the coaches as well. Who have I got coming? How much money can I give this person or that person? You know, I think everybody's kind of in limbo right now uh, of what's going to happen. And I think the next, I think from now to about May 15th is going to be really crucial. I, I know um, I was listening to, to Brett McMurphy last week from Stadium.com, of course. Uh, Brett is a widely recognized college football writer and, and not only has worked in the newspaper, but in radio and TV as well. And he spent time talking about 118 different athletic directors on the college level here over the last two or three weeks. And, and that's no guarantee we're going to have college football here here in the fall. But and I, I posted this link on my Facebook page of his interview that I heard. He's got a really good write-up. They're developing, and I'm sure the, the schools like Chowan and Little City State are developing contingency plans if we don't have fall sports. And here's the thing about, I think, Division two and Division three maybe can can do without the college footballs and the college soccers. Division one cannot can't afford to lose the college football team. Uh, and they're talking about maybe starting in October if they can, maybe just playing conference games. There's even some talk about moving college football next year to the spring or maybe starting in January. Can you imagine going to Ann Arbor or Wisconsin to play in mid-January, an outdoor game in football, but there's some talk about moving it to the spring, having a national championship game on Warrior Day weekend. You know, the, just the next today, the Masters is thinking about having their tournament in November. You know, here's, here's another thing that concerns me. If they move college football back to January, this is my opinion and my opinion only. I get crucified, and I say this in North Carolina every day and then. I honestly think major college basketball is a one-month season now. You got to get to March. You get to March. You're playing good. You got a chance. Everybody loves March Madness. That's what it's come to. And I think college football has pushed college basketball a little bit on the back burner. But if they end up doing away with the college football season in the fall, they move it to start in January. What is that going to do to college basketball? And that's that's a lot of things on the table. Uh, that's that's the things I've been following. But if you go to my Facebook page, I promise you, I'm the only Gaddis Hodges in the world. You can find me there. I had a link to it last week. It's a good article, good listen to about some of the things going on. But I think contingency plans are the vehicle. And you know, I think about it. I did some work for Elizabeth City State over the last year, and football is their big money generator. Two years ago, when they lost the Down East Viking Football Classic due to uh, Hurricane, I forgot which one, but one of the hurricanes, um, when when they lost that, I mean, that was. Probably fifty, sixty thousand dollars of straight revenue um, after expenses are paid, um, and Elizabeth City State really struggled to make that money back. And and you start looking at, you know, some of these HBCUs that rely on homecoming and, and, and those uh, attendances and everything else that come in, and not having that, um, it's it's going to put a it's going to put a real strain on on those HBCUs if they don't have football because basketball is not the money generator. It's still it's still football. Um, and and I, I can imagine it being the same with Chowan. You know, you're losing one of two of the big money makers. Um, and, and so, I do agree with you. I think Division Two is better suited to to fit it because those budgets are smaller, so you can make them up in, in different ways. But you know, football does go away and it goes into the spring. I guess they're going for the old USFL model. Um, but <laughs> football goes away, and even if they go into the spring, you know, basketball. Let's say there is a second wave of this. 
it's going to hit during basketball season in the winter. And so if that's the case, now you're looking at a full basketball season potentially being done. I, I, again, I don't. I want sports to come back as quickly as possible, but it's tough to uh, want that, but at the same time being realistic in the fact that those contingency plans, I don't, I don't believe they're too soon in, in going ahead and working through those and, and seeing what that looks like uh, because revenue models are going to have to change. Television contracts are going to have to change because, I mean, you think about it, did uh, CBS not being able to host March Madness, I mean, that, that was a huge cut to the NCAA, and that's trickling down throughout what the NCAA gives out to its member institutions. And so, you know, even Division Two and Division Three are feeling that pinch as well. Um, and so, at a time when financially, on the fundraising side, there's not money coming in because people are probably pinching their wallets, not knowing what's going to happen. You relied on some of these other things as income generators, and now those are gone. Uh, it's really going to be interesting to see how these schools handle those financial obligations that they have uh, moving forward. You know, let me, let me throw this uh, curveball at you a little bit as well. Uh, Brett also mentioned that he thought the NFL would play that the NFL would not mind at all playing in empty stadiums because of TV revenue and the TV ratings would just skyrocket uh, if they played. And here's another thing. And if NFL plays, that's going to put more pressure on college football to try to play as well. But the difference is can you afford to bring your student athletes on campus and not everybody else? So that's another plan they're looking at as well. So. It'll be interesting to see how it unfolds, and, and that's about the only interesting thing, you know, to keeping up with it in sports now, uh, to see how things are going going to unfold. I'm a big-time Major League Baseball fan, and I, I miss baseball uh, dearly. And hopefully MLB is going to start back here, maybe my Memorial Day, 1st of June, if everything settles down a little bit. But uh, I'm a big Major League Baseball fan, and I miss it some kind of bad. I want to see <laughs> – I don't care what it is. I want to see a little league game, a minor league game. I, I understand. I, I saw a great game, article today it. on – uh, I, I can't remember if it's ESPN or it might have been the New York Times, but they did an article about the Korean Baseball League and how they're looking to come back by the end of April. Um, but they have a lot of institutional uh, stringency on – when you walk into a building, your temperature gets checked by a forehead thermometer. They saw players out practicing – with surgical mask on uh, that didn't last for so long because imagine that it was tough to breathe and those things but they're obviously taking a lot of steps to see what they can do to get back and south korea is a lot different than what we've experienced with the outbreak and, and everything else but it does kind of provide an interesting way of moving forward and seeing okay well korea was able to do this can we do this in the major leagues of course they're going to start off by playing in front of no crowds. Um, I really think that's something that when sports comes back, until we have a vaccine, you're going to see empty stadiums, which I'm, I know it's what has to happen and I'm willing to, to do it, to watch sports, but that's still going to be interesting to watch that change of athletes not going off of the feel of the crowd. I mean, can you imagine watching an Ohio state or a Michigan football game and there not being a crowd, and those cavernous stadiums, like, and again, I, I know that's what's probably going to have to happen, but again, it's a new normal, and it's going to be interesting to see how college athletics, who 
let's call a spade a spade, has not been the best at being nimble or changing with the times, changes with the times to be able to, to have this model moving forward. But let's, let's shift gears. Let's get away from COVID-19. Let's, let's talk about something that, that's coming up on the horizon from, from the High School Athletic Association, and it's something that I wrote about um, last week in, in the Daily Advance, and that's realignment. You know, we're looking at a 2021 realignment. Um, well, again – all dependent on COVID-19, I guess, at this point. But, guys, this this last realignment saw some interesting things happen with Edenton dropping down to 1A. It looks like with their attendance numbers, they're going to be they're still going to be in 1A. Um, Bertie could potentially drop to a 1A, which is, to me, shocking because when I was in high school, Bertie was a 3A high school. And to see that just major drop is still something that's shocking to me but potentially they could be a 1a school um curry tuck you know depending on if the high school athletic association goes to five classifications which they've talked about um curry tuck and first flight could be 3a again hertford county would be teetering on that line um but what do you expect to see from this next round of realignment from the nchsaa That's a good question. I have no idea, to be honest. And, you know, I think the High School Athletic Association is searching for answers along that line. You know, they put out this uh, email here a couple months ago to the to the, all the member facilities, member schools, about uh, two different ways to roll it out. Both of them were voted down. Uh, I didn't see that happening either way. It, it kind of, I saw that, that neither one of them would, would go through, but you know, that we're talking about one time going back to uh, looking at a different alignment, maybe going to a five classification. I know some schools are already thinking about they will be moving up. If they did so with those five classifications, I think that's been put on the back burner. Uh, everybody keeps talking about travel is the reason they want, don't want to expand. Uh, I really don't know, but I, I think the biggest thing here, Chris, is the domination on the 1A level by the private schools or members of the association. And I think that's what's driving uh, coaches crazy. Uh, they're, they're not liking it uh, a lot because if you look at it, they pretty much dominate the 1A level, uh, especially on the basketball side and the baseball and those type things. I, do we create a, a classification just for those schools alone? On the 1A level, maybe so. I don't know. There's been some talk about that as well. Um, but I think, personally, I like the 4A. Like we've got it now, four classifications. I love the way they split football. I'm in the minority when I say that, I know. But it's afforded the kids like the Northamptons and those schools to play for national, for sport, state championships. Um you know, because they split, it's given me an opportunity to, to broadcast more state championship games. I like to split. Can we go to other sports and do the same? Maybe that's our answer. I don't know. Everybody talks about a port system. You know, we're, talking, we're dealing with Max Press now. Who knows where they're going to go with it? Maybe this downtime is what the North Carolina High School Athletic Association needs to figure out. Which yeah, Nick Stevens out of high school OT in Raleigh had a had an interesting article where he was talking about basically applying a multiplier to the attendance of 
uh, charter schools. So if you're based in Wake or Mecklenburg County or Forsyth or Guilford, one of the larger population counties, um, you're going to have a higher multiplier due to the population that's in that area. Whereas, you know, Beargrass Charter is obviously going to have a little bit lower since they're in Martin County. So it wouldn't really affect the smaller schools, but the Rocky Mount Preps, the Henderson Collegiates, where they have a larger population base, um, that would make a huge, huge um, impact. And it would force those schools to play up classifications. You know, look at the job that Robert Woodley did at Eatonton. That team was, in my opinion, I watched them four or five times this season. They were a state championship caliber team. However, they ran up against a Henderson Collegiate team that, I mean, let's face it, how many of those kids, <laughs> where would they have gone if there, if there hadn't been a Henderson Collegiate? Let's just say it like that. Uh, and and it's, it's unfortunate that these new models are, are hurting the traditional schools. And then when these other schools pop up, now these students see, well, hey, this worked here. This worked at another place. Why am I going to stay at my traditional high school when I have this opportunity to play with some of these other kids that I know are good and we can go win a state championship? I, I can't blame them for taking advantage of that opportunity. But at the same time, it's the responsibility of the High School Athletic Association to go out and make it so that they don't have to deal with that on a where they do have to play up, kind of like what Cardinal Gibbons did. Cardinal Gibbons knew that they were destroying people in 2A and 3A. They petitioned the NCHSA to play up the 4A. And I, I really think that needs to happen across the board. I, I think it would make your 1As more successful most of your 1As are already dealing with lack of resources and hard travel and everything else to begin with because they are smaller schools. Um, and we haven't really seen it affect football yet. But should it affect football, now the Northamptons and the Plymouths and Southsides and, and everything else that have had really good runs in 1A, now that looks a little bit different because of those you know differing resources coming in from, from those charter schools. So... I agree wholeheartedly. I like the idea of sticking them in their, their own division. Um, I, I think that could work. I also think, you know, there is the Independent Schools Athletic Association, and uh, you said that your grandkids go to, to Northeast, and um, you know, I have experience uh, having coached down at Harold's Christian Academy, a two A school uh, right near Wallace, and they're looking for membership. I don't know if it doesn't make sense for some of those schools to go over there. Maybe some of the smaller ones where it'd be a little bit more competitive, but. Um, I, I agree with you. It, it's, it's a problem that has been overlooked and overlooked and overlooked by the NCHSA, and, and now it's gotten to that boiling point where I really think um, that's going to happen. So I, when I was doing my, my, my look and my research, I, I want to throw these two conferences out at you guys, and I want to get your opinion. So with, with Bertie moving down to 1A, it's possible – because Camden and Manio could both bump up to 2A with their current numbers. They'd be right on that on that breaking point. Both of them are growing, though, so I think they're going to grow into the 2A classification, whereas Bertie is, is losing uh, attendance. So I think they're going to be pretty safe in 1A for the next realignment. But a Bertie, Berquimans, Gates, Washington County, um, Riverside, and Edenton, 1A conference. And then your 2A slash 3A Northeastern Coastal Conference matchup would be 
First Flight, Manio, Curry Tuck, Camden, Northeastern, Pasquotank, and Hertford County. Hey, uh, it sounds like the old album archive on the uh, 1A side. Uh, I'd love to see Riverside in there with those And you could get Bertie, maybe that would help Bertie's program. They've been really dang here on the football side of things here the last few years. And maybe that would be a boost to them, but I think that would be a really good conference. Now, Camden would be the team that would really struggle, I think, trying to play up on the 2A level, even though they're trying to turn things around. Uh, Manio has been in that conference before with the Hertford Counties in the Northeastern, so it wouldn't be foreign to them as well. Um, but it gives you more teams to play. And I, I tell you, I like what I'm hearing here from what you said, and I really like that 1A conference. I, I think that, that makes for good play, and it makes for, especially if you throw Riverside in there. I think also you would see packed gyms and packed stadiums. <laughs> you would have a lot of a lot of rivalries already built in. I, Absolutely, I'm sure you. And, and having having the Marlin Bowl down in First Flight Manio being a conference matchup, having Mark Hardley and Chad Williams facing off in conference games, I, I sit back and I, I just start getting excited about going to see those games. Uh, it, it, I really think for the first time we have the opportunity to, outside of Hertford County, which you know will always be a little bit larger. Um, I really think we have an opportunity to almost have an East and a West <laughs> Albemarle Conference. And, of course, Hertford County will have to join in with the East. But I think that would just – not to mention, I think right now what we have in the Northeastern Coastal I, I think is a, a good good mix of conference members. And I think that's the same in the Albemarle. But I think Bertie dropping down into that 1A, Riverside coming over um, and having that natural rivalry there, man, I don't know. I I'm having a tough time finding a reason why it wouldn't work <laughs> uh, and getting excited for what those stadiums might look like. Yeah, I'm with you. I'm with you. I'm with you. And I think as a Riverside, uh, what uh, that creek, has that been finalized for the consolidation? Is that going on this year or is that down the road? Have they postponed that? That's yeah, and if nothing else, I think what that might end up doing well. is pushing them into a 2A classification. So if so, that means they would likely join the Northeastern Coastal um, or maybe drop into to Washington's conference. But I've heard rumbles in Martin County for years that that's coming down the pike. I know South Creek only has about 225 students in it. Riverside is right around, I think, 450. So even putting them together, you'd be about 675. Um, With Beargrass Charter starting to to take away students from Martin County as well, to me it only makes sense to do that. Um, Well, not only Beargrass Charter, but also the Northeast uh, Regional School for for Biotechnology uh, taking students away that occupies the old Janesville High School campus. But Hey, if they're in a 2A, then it really goes back to what that old first edition of the Northeastern Albemarle Conference was where, um, you know, Riverside was in it with Curry Tuck and Manio and and everybody else. So I think either way, whether they stay a 1A or or they do jump the 2A, Riverside's going to be a a part of our conversation a lot more. And um, I I think it makes sense uh, to have them be a part of it as well. Um, I don't really like the fact that they have to travel all the way down to – 
you know, Pamlico and, and Jones County for, for conference games. I, w- I would love to have them close by and, and have them be a part of, of our conferences moving forward. Um, and, and shifting gears yet again, Gaddis, let's go back to college. I'd love to hear about, you know, your thoughts. Chowan has, has changed tremendously over the past 20, 20 years. Um, you know, heck, 20 years ago, they were Division three. Um I can't remember what year did they switch over from being a junior college? Was that in the, that was in the nineties, correct? Yes, it was. It was in the nineties. I want to say it was ninety four, but I could be wrong. But I want to say it was ninety four. Um, but still, uh, man, what a change that was. <laughs> to be honest, and I was just kind of trying to look it up here when we. I know we're going to talk, talk about Coach Bob Burke here, here momentarily, but. Uh, when they made the change from junior college to uh, Division three, we went from one end of the spectrum to the other from an athletic standpoint. We had great college football teams, we had great college basketball at Joan. I mean, we had Division one guys all over the place on both sides of the ball. And we go to Division three, and we don't have any scholarships, and we're struggling. And, and, and I think one of the best things that ever happened to Joan is we were in the uh, – in a Division Three conference, and, and the, the conference at North Carolina Wesleyan and Christopher Newport, those schools are in, which the name of uh, escapes me right now. But um, and Chowan got voted out of that conference. I don't know what happened, but we got voted out of that conference. It was the best thing ever happened to us because we made the decision to go to Division Two. Um, we struggled early in Division Two, but due to the funding. But once we increased our funding, and got a lot better. Uh, the football there is much better. The basketball is much better. All the sports is much better for us. I really enjoy the Division II level. Um, the thing that we have a, a tough time, I think, from the Chowan standpoint, is wrapping our arms around. And you, you know what, the way I'm coming from here by dealing with Elizabeth City State. There's so much transfer in Division II athletics. And Chowan's not going to take so many transfers, I don't think. But, you know, we're not going to get – the Chowan is not going to get the Division One transfers because we don't have that much money to put in basketball or football, scholarship-wise, and maybe some of the other schools do. You get those Division sure. One guys uh, that come down, they're looking for scholarships. And we don't have a chance to give those guys that. And that's something we struggle with. I can remember Winston-Salem State a few years ago. He had 22 Division One guys that he transferred in. How they got them all in, I don't know. But, I mean, they had Philip Sims at quarterback. The kid played at Alabama. I mean, he was a backup, I believe, what, to Greg McElroy, I believe it was, uh, down at Alabama. They just had a great football team. And, and they had kids from the state, North Carolina, Pittsburgh on that team. And you're not going to see that at Lucifer State or probably at Chowan because we don't have the funding to do that. But uh, that just kind of fell off a little bit from Winston Salem State standpoint. But I love Division II athletics. It reminds me a lot of the junior college days that we had back before. We're still adapting. We're still trying to, uh, you know, fund our way through different sports and, and different things. And Joanne's up to 22 sports now. We've got lacrosse, men and women. We've got swimming, men and women. Uh, obviously, we've had soccer, uh, men and women. And that's one of the things or the thing that forces I to see our AA all the sports because CIAA wasn't sponsoring a lot of those sports. And, of course, we're still there in football. And uh, I love the CIAA football game. 
Uh, whether the Chowan will end up out in another conference down the line remains to be seen. Limestone, uh, which has football, is moving out of Conference Carolinas. They're going to the sack, uh, so we're losing them. But you got UNC Pembroke, who's an independent. Barton is starting football. Erskine is starting football this year. Matter of fact, Chowan is going down to, to do West South Carolina to play Erskine. And there's some other schools talking football. But here's the problem. The only two Division II football schools in the state of Virginia, the Virginia Union, Virginia State, and both of them belong to the CIAA, so you can't go that way to try to find somebody. But I know there's, there's some talk about maybe another league down the, down the line, but who knows? could be a while before we before Chowan gets out of CIAA in football. But I like where we stand now with some lot less travel. That's the thing that really Chowan has really been has fought with in this conference Carolina run, Chris, is the travel. We've really had to go a lot. You know, we've got a Barton and Mount Olive. They're our two closest games. And, and we have teams in South Carolina, we have teams in Georgia, we have a team in Bristol, Tennessee. You know, so we have, we have a team that uh, leaves McRae, which is out in the mountains, uh, at Banner Elk, North Carolina. So a lot of travel for Chowan in this new league, and, and this is something that's really, we've had to get our hands around and, and you know, really do some, some additional funding through our Braveheart I remember club when I was at Campbell, we Apple. were in the Atlantic Sun, and at that point it was Campbell, USC Upstate, Kennesaw, Jacksonville, North Florida, Florida Gulf Coast, Belmont, and Lipscomb. So you're traveling from Bowie's Creek to Nashville to Fort Myers and to Jacksonville. I mean, that travel, I agree with you. That That's something that some of these Division One conferences, the East Carolinas, the Old Dominions that have moved into these mega conferences, Old Dominion having to send their volleyball team to El Paso. That's a that's an expensive trip. It, looking at the Campbell bus, bussing down to Fort Myers. That's not that's not an easy trip for Chowan. You know, having to bus it all the way to to King out in Bristol, Tennessee, and then hit Lee's McRae and then come down and go to South Carolina and and play Southern. I mean, it, there's just there's all different types of travel that you guys are having to deal with at Chowan. Um, that it was nice in the CIAA, you know, especially with the North and the South Division, you knew you would have to go to the South and play. Um, but that was your longest trips. Everything else you could pretty much do, um, you know, Thursday, Saturday, you'd be traveling to Maryland and back, or maybe to Lincoln and Bowie. Uh, but the travel at Chowan, I imagine, has gone up exponentially, um, you know, with the switch over to Conference Carolinas. But at the end of the day, that move was necessary due to the fact that Chowan continued to add sports that the CIAA didn't host. So really, it ended up where you were playing almost half, if not more, for your sports and Conference Carolinas as an affiliate member as compared to the CIAA just because the sports weren't sponsored in the conference. Isn't that, is, that, is that right? That's pretty much the, the correct. And I played the strong yeah, Drop baseball, and 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 Chowan was forced to, to make a move. But here's the thing about it: not only is the travel tough, we sure. do not get a lot of spectators from those other schools at our basketball games. We're playing Louisville City State next year in men's basketball, uh, a home and home series. We played down to Louisville City State this year. That we're going to play home and home next year. We're playing Fayetteville State again, home and home on the men's side. So. Those schools travel well. They bring a lot of people. Look, City State game here at Chowan, basketball, football, 
brings a lot of people. Sure. There's a lot of Lucifer Tuesday State graduates in our immediate area here in the Ron Chalon area. It brings a lot of people in. Virginia State travels well. Virginia Union travels well. And you play Elise McGrave, you play Emmanuel from down in Georgia, or you play Erskine, and you won't have a half a dozen spectators come to those games. And John's losing that on that end as well. So. But it's, it's nothing that, that you can do about it. You can't make those people travel. Because we've got to have a conference. Well, and finally, uh, Gaddis, uh, Chowan lost a Titan uh, this past weekend with the passing of, of, of Coach Burke. And as I mentioned to you earlier, I hold him on kind of the same pedestal as Coach Hawkins and Coach Garrison for, for baseball and football. And Chowan's been really lucky, Coach or Gaddis, to have coaches that stick around Murfreesboro. Coach Hawkins was the leader of the baseball program for – um, for decades, Coach Garrison, of course, leader of Chowan Athletics and of the football program for decades, and Coach Burke stayed around for 22 years there in Murfreesboro. And I understand you had a you had a lot of interaction with with Coach Burke over the years, and would just like to hear your perspective on his time in Murfreesboro, um, and, and also just just your feelings about his passing. Uh. Uh, I love Bob. He was great to me. He was a dear friend. Um, you know, I look back, and I'm putting this on my Facebook page. When I got started in radio, I got started in the mid-'80s in radio. My first gig was covering Chowan football and basketball. And my job was a sideline reporter. I did all the pre-game and post-game interviews. Back in the day, man, we thought we were pretty big time. We had a wireless mic. We could do all that stuff. <laughs> I was basically Aaron Andrews before there was an Aaron Andrews. So, and, and Coach Burke was always so good to me and so nice to me. And I, and I mentioned on my Facebook page, he really promoted the game. He coached our radio crew just like he coached his players. Um, he would always be there to tell us, back in the mid-'80s, you didn't have the Internet. So you didn't have social media where you could find about find out about players and about teams. He always gave us a scouting report. He always invited us to practice. He would always invite us to his home afterwards. He's, he's been so special to me. I, I tell people all the time, I learn more about basketball than life from Bob Burke than I did than anybody else. But my very first experience with him came in the 83-84 season. I was the PA announcer for showing basketball. So I was 10 feet away from Bob at every home game. And one of the biggest things I had to learn how to do early was the on and off switch of the microphone uh, with Bob. We, but I can tell you this, and we're a podcast, so I guess I can, can, can say this. But one of the things I remember, Chowan had won the region. They had to play a satellite home game against Allegheny-Pittsburgh for the right to go to Hutchinson, Kansas to the national tournament. Chowan's students on spring break. Coach Burke is pounding every business in the area. He's on the radio nonstop. Let's field this gym. Let's get these kids a chance, the home environment they really need. And the place is packed. And Chowan gets behind early. He falls down about 10 or 12 points, and I'll never forget this. Nate McMillan, who is now the coach for the Indiana Pacers, was our point guard. Of course, he went on to play at NC State. He's had a great pro career now, head coach in the NBA. He calls Nate over to, to him, and he said, Nate, you're a damn All-American. Take this game over. And he did. And it was a great night of basketball. And 
Um, but here's something, Chris, that, that Coach Burke did for me. After every game, we, we ended up having 35 Division One kids from for 13 years there in the Coach Burke that signed Division One grants. We had seven to go to the ACC. Plus Nate McMillan and Fred Benson, who's from Northampton County High School, by the way. He's a Northampton East grad. Played in the NBA. Fred's now the assistant coach for the New Orleans Pelicans, one of the top shooting coaches in the NBA. Um, we had Division One coaches there all the time. We had Bobby Creamer. We had Mike Steele down in East Carolina. We had Dave Odom, Terry Holland, Valvana, you name them. But Coach Berg would always invite those coaches out for pizza and beer afterwards, invite them to, we'd go to a local establishment there or home. He'd always come invite us to come by and meet these coaches and talk to them. I took advantage of it. So I've learned the ins and outs of recruiting. I sat down on his sofa and talked with Bobby Crimmins and, and Dave Odom and those people like that and Mike Steele and the different assistants over the years. And even Lefty Giselle, I had a chance to interview Lefty Giselle, which was great. You know, and Bob gave us that avenue to learn how recruiting was, but also how to deal with, with the larger coaches and to deal with it the game of basketball and stuff. I learned so much from him. I, You know, when I was doing the PA, I was 10 feet away from him. I watched how he managed players. I watched how he managed officials. I watched how he managed the game. And, you know, he would still uh, call me from time to time. He and I only show on Hall of Fame committed together. And he would, I'll miss that call later this spring. He always called me every year before we had our meeting in June. He would also get us. I'm nominating this guy. You remember how he was? He'd come out with every stat in the world. And, of course, I covered his game, so I knew. And, but I know in my heart, because I missed back in 2016 when I was inducted into the Hall of Fame. I missed the Hall of Fame meeting in June. And we were having a follow-up meeting in July. And the day before, Ozzie McFarlane, who was the AD at the time, called me to tell me that I was going to be inducted into the Hall of Fame. And I know Coach Burke was behind it. And to this day, uh, you know, I'll, I'll always say what meant more to me than anything else. Yeah, I got a wing out of it. I got a plaque out of it. I get recognized for it. But what means the most to me is he thought I was deserving of being a Hall of Fame. And that means the most to me. But I'll miss him. The world of basketball will miss him. He knew so many people. Last time I talked to him, was the day his son Rob got the job as the own head coach down at UNC Wilmington. And we spent about an hour uh, talking basketball. He always knew, wanted to know about the family. And we both enjoyed going to Myrtle Beach. We enjoyed listening to beach music. And he'd always get on me and ask me, could I steal Shag as good as he could? And, but uh, he'd always, you know, have a listening ear and a, and a teaching ear. And he meant so much to all our children University family. But... Everybody in this area loved Bob Burke, and you know he he brought a lot to uh, not only Chowan but Hertford County. His wife Jane was the superintendent of schools here for a while. Bob came back and played for him. Uh, of course, his daughter was the head coach down at Brunswick Community College for a while, and Bob was her assistant. So his whole family was. I'm really glad that Coach Burke was able to see Rob do such a good job at UNC Wilmington. I know that had to. They had to lighten his spirit a little bit, and what was, and now that we know, you know, kind of his his latter days, Rob did a fantastic job stepping into that role. Um, 
you know, with me having lived in Wilmington and done some work for UNCW, I still stay in connection with some of those guys. And, and even talking with Owen Hassel, who's now the, the uh, works for the Star News down in Wilmington, he did a phenomenal job of, of stepping in and, and trying to make the, the best of a really, really bad situation at UNCW. But there wasn't any, anybody better. His, his spirit and his tenacity uh, directly came from his dad, and it's so great to see that and, and really hope that Rob, you know, even though he didn't get the, the full-time gig at UNCW, um, you know, the fact that Jimmy Bass, the AD there, said all the things he said about him and his commitment and everything else, that, that Rob's got a really – strong future in college basketball and you know that all came from his dad so really really glad that coach burke was able to see that and again i'm, I'm mesmerized all the time by chowan and the fact that they've had those coaches that have come and stayed in, in a in a small little town of murfreesboro for as long as they did um, and to make that lasting impact that each one of those three coaches made is something that's truly special It really is, and you know we've got people now that that come. Uh, we got a young lady who's a women's and men's soccer coach. She was an All-American at Indiana University. Uh, she lives in Texas. She's here at Chowan doing a terrific job for us. Uh, you know, you know, you end up with people that come here that really give a lot to the community and really stay. But you know, the the Garrisons and the Hawkinsons and the Burks. Sure. Um, they're kind of the exception there, Chris, and not the rule. You know, the Krzyzewskis and the Williamses and those people, not a lot of coaches are staying right long anymore. And we were really fortunate to have those three guys for here as long as they were. And, and, and like I said, it's so much turnover in, in college athletics now. And hopefully, you know, we've got, uh, you know, Brett Benson's been here for a while, a men's basketball coach. Uh, you know, we just made a, coaching change in football after 12 years. So, you know, we're talking about Nikki White, our, our swimming coach. We had a great soccer coach, Chris Wally. He's been here for a while. Uh, people come and they fall in love with this area. And, you know, who knows? Maybe uh, Absolutely. Well, well, guys, uh, I appreciate your time, and, and thank you so much for coming on to the to the first episode of the, of the podcast. And we'll definitely be talking to you here soon, uh, hopefully about college and high school football. would love to be able to talk about the, the change at Chowan and, and, and Mark Hall getting that job. I, I think that's a great move by Chowan to keep some continuity um, after what was a very challenging season uh, for the Hawks. And, and, look, as much as I – uh, you know, have aligned myself with Elizabeth City State. Uh, I always look at, at what's going on in Murfreesboro, and it's tough not to love what, what Bryce Witt and those guys do, uh, you know, at, at Garrison Stadium. So really hoping that everything comes about where we can have a college football season and, and things kind of get back to a normal that we're used to. And um, really looking forward to speaking to you here later on as we do uh, future editions of the show. Thank you so much for having me, Chris. I, I've thoroughly enjoyed it. It's nice to get COVID-19 off your mind for about an hour, man. Hey, and to talk some hey don't tempt me with you a know, good time. Now, as long as I can only have together, beach music be as the as the bumps coming in and out, which it sounds like to me, yeah. you're, you're behind. So, uh, <laughs> Well, that sounds like a plan. Well, again, I'm, I'm thank you, Gaddis. Uh, and we'll be right back with uh, our final segment here on the NENC Sports Radio Show. Stay tuned.
Special thanks again to Gaddis Hodges for joining us on our inaugural broadcast. Uh, now for just one more segment before we head out, and I'm going to call this the spotlight on the album, Marl. Uh, so it, as we look around, uh, I want to be able to focus in on on one or two things that are really happening and, and kind of focusing in on advanced coverage, uh, some of the things that they've been talking about Um in the newspaper, you know, one of the big articles that came out was uh, the fact that Edenton Steamers announced that they have done updates to historic Hicks Field. So um, this has been a really busy offseason for the Steamers. So not only did they leave the Coastal Plain League and join the Tidewater Summer League, uh, they were also selected to host the 2020 Tidewater Summer League All-Star Game, which is a big deal for Edenton. First All-Star Game hosted there in over 20 years. Uh, and so as we look at these updates to Hicks Field, they actually started back in September of 2019, um, and they were headed up by the Edenton Baseball Club, which was started by Bob Turner, uh, John Downham, and the GM there in Edenton, Tyler Russell. Uh, that group has kind of served as a fundraising arm for Edenton since they came into being last year. Uh, with all the usage of historic Hicks Field, you know, updates were needed. Uh, when I was there, they were needed, and so you know that's been 10 years ago now, so they desperately needed now Hicksfield gets used a lot like I mentioned um the, the football team there at Edenton they use it as a practice facility in in the fall once the steamer season is done uh the aces start playing on the field with their high school games in February and then the steamer season overlaps if the aces go deep into the playoffs uh, it actually starts overlapping so you can see games um day after day after day and that doesn't do any good for a baseball field um and then finally, you have American Legion 40 that starts using the field at the same time as the steamers do. So again, constant usage has allowed the, the field to just need some updates. And so Tyler Russell actually told uh, Malcolm Shields of the Advance that they removed the old fencing and wood plank flooring from in front of the dugouts and they replaced them with concrete floors and brick walls. So they actually went in and, and redid uh, the, the dugouts and the way that they look and also the, the steps going down, uh, really good stuff that they've done there at Hicks Field. And after the completion of the walls and how they looked with the brick, they decided to go ahead and move forward with the building of the brick backstop, which reaches from dugout to dugout. So the, the steamers have added a new batting cage down the right field corner uh, and painted the tops and inside of the dugouts. And uh, Edenton's also worked to improve the drainage around home plate and the dugouts. And I believe even out shallow outfield, that's always been a, a problem with water. If we've had a lot of rain, um, normally it's going to pull there. If I can take a guess of having been there um, for those three seasons. So all the upgrades will be done by opening night, which tentatively is still scheduled for May 29th as the Steamers will host Old Dominion out of the Tidewater Summer League. Their season actually starts two days before that as they'll take on the new Tarboro team that's playing in the Carolina-Virginia's Collegiate League. Uh, they'll actually travel out to Tarboro to play that. So um, definitely some great things going on in Edenton with the Steamers. They have been... Um, a great thing for this community to have for a lot of years and, and really proud of the job that Tyler has done with his local ties over, over these last few years. And again, moving away from an owner uh, that they had uh, and, and having to shift gears, go to the Tidewater Summer League. Some really positive things are coming out of Edenton. Also out of the baseball world, some accolades happening as Curry Tucks, Cannon Piquel, uh, Northeastern's Colin Riddick, Perquimans as uh, Tyler Futrell were, were named uh, to the perfect game USA preseason Atlantic region high school senior all region team. 
That is a mouthful. Uh, again, the Perfect Game USA preseason Atlantic Region uh, High School Senior All Region Team. Uh, Pakel was selected to the region's first team. He is, of course, uh, a UNC signee. Uh, he's had three stellar seasons uh, for the Knights and play, played travel baseball with Canes National. Um, really was looking forward to seeing what Cannon could do on the mound. Uh, really disappointed that uh, it's looking like that's we're not going to be able to see that happen this season. Um, Pakel was also named to the Perfect Game USA preseason senior team all-American third team. So definitely some great accolades for the senior hurler from Curry Talk. Riddick, uh, senior right-hand pitcher and infielder, was selected to the region's honorable mention team. Uh, Riddick is slated to attend Chowan next season, and he played his travel ball with the Carolina Cubs 2020 blue team. Uh, Futrella, senior catcher, was also selected to that honorable mention team along with Riddick. Uh, Futrella is headed to uh, Fuquay Arena to Wake Tech Community College uh, next year. Played his travel baseball with Team Max Bat. Uh, finally, congratulations are in order for Edenton sophomore Sidney Spear and Edenton senior Ryan White. They were both named recipients of the NCHSAA Heart of a Champion Award. Those two student athletes were two out of 35 athletes from across the state that were selected for that honor. Also want to give a quick shout out to Cape Hatteras senior Dylan Gray, who was also selected for that honor. Uh, might be a little bit out of our listening uh, viewership, but still technically Dare County, so definitely want to give them uh, a shout out as well. So uh, again, folks, I just want to say thank you for joining us on this inaugural podcast of the NENC Sports Radio Show. And again, thanks to Gaz Hodges for, for joining along with us. Uh, we'll actually be back next week with head ECSU men's basketball coach Sean Walker. Uh, he'll join us to talk about the changes that have occurred inside of the NCAA uh, with COVID-19, especially around recruiting and, and resources and everything else. So uh, really looking forward to that edition of the podcast. Hopefully that'll be out on Monday. And again, just thank you so much for joining us on this inaugural podcast, and we'll be in touch soon. Have a great day.